You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Corralling at this locale, not getting a root canal. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 221. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen. And we are your typical type founders making typos about typhoid and typhoons. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. Well, without further ado, let's jump Straight into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. Here I have a random Trivial Pursuit Genus Edition card. You guys have your barnyard buzzers ready. Let's answer some questions. Here we go. Blue Wedge for geography. As of 2016, which two countries, both in North Africa, boast the only two subway systems on the whole continent. Wow. Can you read that one more time? Which two countries, both in North Africa, boast Mm. the only two subway systems on the whole continent? Colin. (laughs) I will guess Egypt. Ding, ding, Uh ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Second one, this gets a little trickier. Um, Morocco. Incorrect. Nigeria. Yes, it is Algeria. So the Cairo Metro opened in 1987 and the Algiers Metro in 2011. So actually pretty new. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Pink Wedge for pop culture. Which TV show's 522 episodes were aired on FXX on August 21st, 2014 and played for 12 straight days for your binge watching pleasure? <laughs> Dana. I almost feel like you should give it to Chris because I feel like his household watched all of them. Oh. <laughs> it the Simpsons. Yep, yeah. the Simpsons. Okay, Yellow Wedge. From which root vegetable were jack-o'-lanterns originally made? Oh. oh. Good job, Brains. Uh, first Halloween show. Colin? Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it was, it was, it was uh, radishes, turnips? Turnips. So it says turnips are correct. Uh, people also carve beets and potatoes in order to ward off those who might bear them ill will. If this is your first time listening to the show, maybe you never heard that episode. I really, really encourage you to go uh, Google the uh, turnip jack-o'-lantern um, because it's just, <laughs> frankly, equal parts frightening and hilarious. <laughs> But they're so small. I think that's that, that's why they that's look the hard part. They, they look kind of creepy in those old <laughs> photos. It's like it's not it's not a lot of real estate to carve, and also they shrivel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Purple wedge. Next question: Which prolific artist, famous for his quote paintings of light, hid the number? 5,282, 5282 in his work to honor his wedding date, May 2nd, 1982. <laughs> Everyone was waiting for me to finish the question. Well, it's just like, it, the, the question is just, it's like the you get the answer in the first like four words. <laughs> and then the rest of it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Colin, anyway. you buzzed in. I believe it is uh, Thomas Kincaid. Indeed. Correct. I have no idea who this person is. You would, if you saw his work, you'd be like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Wait, how would you describe it? Foresty, cottagey, like a yeah. like a greeting card, but a boring oh. greeting card, not a sassy greeting card. I might be wrong on this, and if you're, uh, yeah, a Kincaid fan, you'll I'm sure you'll correct me. But isn't 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 one of his features of his paintings that there are never any people in them? Like they're like yeah. they're mm-hmm. like little houses, and they're lit from inside, and they look very warm, but there there are no you know actual. People. These look like paintings where, like, if you get cursed, you get trapped in them. Right. It's very, like, pastoral witches from, from Rule Doll. All right. Okay. Green Wedge for science. Which type of engine uses the same basic technology as a pressure cooker? That was Dana. Steam engine? Steam engine. I don't know. Is that, that yeah? Is, is that yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, orange Wedge. Last question. Which carbonated drink? Patented in 1885, has a name that is synonymous with the word gutsy. 
Oh. Chris. Moxie. Correct. <laughs> New England's own Moxie soda. <laughs> I was going to say Pepsi, like, because I know it has oh. to do with like the peptic. And I was like, gutsy, like your stomach is gutsy. <laughs> yeah. I think they were all at, at that time, the marketing was around for, for ailments and, and for being sick. Yeah. Here, have yeah. a sugary soda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Possibly with some controlled substances in them. Or not. <laughs> Uncontrolled at the time. Yeah. Right, right, right. LOL. Here you go. Enjoy. <laughs> I feel good. If this show has taught me anything, anytime I ever research any product that's over a hundred years old, it's always just like it originally contained heroin. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They they were like, we found this amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our marketing campaign is great. Oh yeah, you think it's you think it's the marketing? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you think it is. <laughs> for babies. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Heroin for babies. Uh, ooh, all right. This week's episode. I don't know. I don't know that this is a surprise to, to anybody. You know, we're we're pretty big nerds. We're, <laughs> we're, we're nerds. And I think we spend most of our time uh reading, researching. Uh this week we're gonna be talking about books. And things on print. I think all of us are pretty voracious readers. So this week, it's another one for the books. Did you all have this when you were growing up where you call the library and you can ask the librarian a question and then they go research it and tell you the answer? I did that all the time when I was a kid. No, that's so like, cute. I don't think I was doing it out of loneliness. It was just I was always curious about something, <laughs> and then and then it would be like, oh, you could just ask somebody, and I yeah. loved it. And then uh, when the internet came, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> I was a very early adopter of the internet because I just like to look stuff up. <laughs> anyway, so I made a quiz for y'all about librarians. Somebody, people I hung out with a lot when I was a kid on the phone <laughs> at school, like. <laughs> magical powers they knew everything right right yes so you guys buzz in i think you'll i think it'll be a mix i'm curious if you'll get all these questions some of these are maybe deep cuts but we'll see okay (laughs) all right so kicking it off on sesame street which human worked as a librarian for 31 seasons of the show? Holy cow. So this was like oh, the librarian. Other people did the librarian, Maybe but she didn't. work together. Oh, it's a she. I know. It's I a just she. Uh-huh. A, a hint yep. for you. Yeah. 31 seasons. No. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. It's not, the, it's not the person I'm thinking of. Okay. Know Maybe you're thinking was. of who I'm thinking of. Well, I'm not going to say because I don't want to ruin Well, it. I'm going to say it. Only human, female, I can... I can name is Maria. Mm. Right. I thought she yeah. had the store. Yeah. She the has the bicycle store. repair. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. She did mm. some librarian stuff, I think, at one point, but she didn't do it for. But that's not yeah. her. Yeah. No. Yeah. Who? That would have been my what? guess, too. So who else the only was, uh, yeah, well, long term. So yeah. Another female character. Another female character. Who's on there for. A long time. You're, not yeah. Maria. Everything was human Maria. Or a I'm sure I'm going to kick myself when you okay. say it. You're right. You ready? Linda. Okay. Oh, oh, Linda. Linda. Oh, yes, yeah. of course. Linda, uh, librarian. Just, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you guess which main cast Muppet was the self-proclaimed library expert? Like out of all the main Muppets of Sesame Street, who do you think was like, I'm the library expert? Hmm. Chris. If it's not Bert, I don't know who it is. Bert? Oh. No. No? It's not. He likes libraries, but there's. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would who's love an expert. The, uh, Self self proclaimed, right? Expert yeah. or Grover. It's Grover. It's Grover. He self proclaimed a lot of things. There's one other Muppet who works in the library sometimes, and her name is Francine Lloyd Wright. She's a worm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. What is librarian hand? Librarian oh, gosh. hand. Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, oh I, I think I Chris. It's it's gotta be when your fingers are like stained black with like library ink from stamping books and like library yeah. hand is all the ink oh, on that's your hands. My guess too. No, no? Ooh, it's like a guess, but no. Karen, is it your obsessive compulsively uh, uh, trying to straighten things? <laughs> no, but that's amazing too. <laughs> but library hand 
is the handwriting. Like they were trained in a real specific handwriting. Oh, really? Uh, for the card catalogs. Like oh. uh, Melville Dewey was oh. helped popularize librarian hand so people could use the card catalogs. So it's oh, kind of like a okay. serif font. Uh. It's very neat. They learned it in library school in the 19th and 20th centuries. Whoa. Librarian hand. Okay, which Italian adventurer whose name is now synonymous with a womanizer was once a librarian? Well, how come Chris. you guys don't know? Casanova. Yeah. Casanova oh. spent the last decade or so of his life as a librarian. And really? he did. Yeah, he worked for Count Waldstein in that, that man's big library. But he really just sat around and wrote a book about how many people he had sex with. <laughs> like, that's what yeah. he wrote the book was when he was a librarian. Like, he's, there to, he's there to meet chicks. He's yeah. like, ah, finally, I have the time. And I'm the gonna, space I got a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> On Parks and Rec, the show Parks and Rec, Ron Swanson's ex-wife is the deputy director of library services. Mm. What's her name? I don't Colin. Know. That is uh, Tammy. Uh, yes. I forget if it's Tammy 1 or Tammy 2, but it's Tammy. <laughs> it's Tammy 2, okay. played by Megan Mullally, who's Nick Oh, Ackerman's who's his real wife. Real wife, yeah. <laughs> um, which DC superhero earned a PhD in library science and ran the Gotham City Public Library? Gotham City Public Library. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's oh. got to be... That- oh, oh. 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 Uh, 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 Barbara Gordon, uh, Batgirl, yes. Batwoman. Yes. Oh, oh yes. that makes sense. Yes. Hmm. Dr. Barbara Gordon. And then I guess she stops being a librarian after the Joker storyline where she gets shot. But she becomes the Oracle. Yeah. So she's real good at managing information. <laughs> yeah. <and> like, <laughs> she puts that degree to use. All right. In Game of Thrones, Samuel Tarly briefly works in a giant library reshelving books and being trained as a maester. What is the name of the training complex that houses the library? Uh, like where is it? Wow, Chris. The Citadel. The Citadel in Old yeah. Town, yes. But, oh, I found this amazing article by these academics who were talking about Game of Thrones library specifically. They study medieval books and, and kind of how libraries have worked in the past. This I loved this quote, I have to tell you. They go, despite the absence of visible retrieval aids, coding systems, or catalogs, and while he is by no means an expert librarian, Game of Thrones' Sam Tarly is able to reshelve books in the Citadel as part of his chores in his first week as a novice. In our opinion, this is a truly remarkable feat, rivaling Daenerys' dragon riding and Arya's sword skills. Oh. <laughs> Books in the past didn't always have the names on the spine and there's right, like no yeah, card yeah. catalog. So how is this guy, how does he know Who's where to new? put any of these books yeah, back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. In Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, the character of the librarian is turned into what kind of animal? Oh, man. Do you know? It's been a while. Nope. Okay. Okay. Well, is it an animal that would make sense? They, there's like pros and cons to being this animal in a library. I guess pros. And so, so this character never goes back to being a human. Yeah. Stays this animal. So many because friends like it. Is it a worm? These, like a bookworm? No. It's mm. random. It's an orangutan. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and, yeah. Like to be able to climb up to the high shelves with the oh, arms. And only that's speaks actually a great imagery. Yeah. It was great. Um, okay. And then the last one. Grace Ann A. D. Candido wrote in a 1999 article for the American Libraries that I'm not alone in the belief that the appearance of this school librarian has done more for the profession than anything in the past 50 years. This wily and attractive professional is our hero librarian, a pop culture idol whose love of books and devotion to research hold the key to saving the universe every week. Okay, what school librarian is she talking about? This is 1999. Okay. Uh, 1999, <laughs> when she wrote this. I was going to guess it's Evie from the Mummy series, played by Rachel Weiss. That is a famous librarian, but that's not who. This is like a sexy man librarian. Sexy man librarian? Yeah. 99. High school? University? High school. High school, High school librarian. Mm-hmm. This is a TV show. It's very adventurous. I'm scared people are going to yell at us. Well, is the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer? It is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So what's the name of the librarian? Niles. the heck out of me. Ah, you're close. 
Giles. Yes. Yes. Giles. Yes. There's a lot to me of librarians who are like, yeah, Giles is the gateway to wanting to be a librarian. Or I love, I love the way he makes our our profession so cool. Good job, y'all, librarians. Do God's work. (laughs) Bring us the information. There was a a brief period when I was in maybe, um, I want to say third or fourth grade, and I went to like a community school. And so uh, this was down in LA. And my mom for about a year was the school librarian. Cute. It was very cute. And I, yeah, I, again, being a very kind of nerdy bookish kid, like I felt kind of cool, like, oh, I could go in at lunchtime and, you know. (laughs) check out books i guess you know just because like i had an in with the librarian um, yeah but uh it was it was a, has a hookup. <laughs> i got a, i got a hookup yeah, yeah 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 but i remember very clearly on our breakfast table at home she made on a on a big piece of poster board like a hand lettered dewey decimal system guide wow. that sat above I, I will forever forever remember yeah dewey decimal system and just picture it with my mom making that poster i used to put fake bibliography citations in my <gasps> paper before the internet existed i was like no oh, one's sure. gonna catch me because yeah. they're all like you have to put three sources i was have, like i yeah, just made yeah. up books and names and years no one's gonna check this the yeah. sixth graders work like, <laughs> no. no it's really did you format it correctly it's like oh that looks right this is how you cite they don't care about who you cite you know and like yeah. the names i came up with were all really generic and stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. thomas smith <laughs> your yeah. report gets peer reviewed they're like turns yeah, out exactly. fabricated all the data <laughs> so on the good job brain twitter account we recently retweeted someone who was like freaking out and losing their mind over uh, (laughs) uh, discovering why we call uppercase letters uppercase and Uh, lowercase letters yep yeah. In his tweet, he had a picture of the actual case. It stemmed from printing press olden days where letters were casted in metal and they're stored in a giant kind of storage box. And of course, uh, they're the letters that are stored on the top shelf, which is the uppercase, and then the bottom shelf, which is the lowercase. And then someone else on that same thread, listener Nick Webster noted that the printing press storage box of letters is also where the phrase, mind your P's and Q's came from. Because lowercase P's and lowercase Q's are mirror image of each other. That's where it came from. And they're located next to each other in the alphabetical order. Because at first I was like, wait a minute, B's and D's are very similar, or like P's are just upside down D's. (laughs) I should add a note here, maybe to head off some internet chatter, that the the mind your P's and Q's is there are many, many uh, origins for this one that people suggest. Uh, That that does seem to be among the the more plausible. Plausible. But but you're going to get people saying, no, it's mind your pints and quarts. It's from the old English pub days. Uh You're going to, yeah, but... So this has totally inspired me to look at the phrases and words we use today that originated from the tradition of printing press and typesetting. And um, Colin, I know you you love this realm of stuff. Can you give us a quick recap of how the printing press worked? There was a case of the little individual cast metal letters, uppercase, lowercase. You would line the letters up, the little metal letters, you know, of course, mirror image. So you have to be able to sort of imagine how they're going to look and make sure they're spelled right. And there's spacing and alignment and you get them on and you basically clamp them in on the sides and you're making a big stamp. Like if you've ever gotten one of those craft store stamps with the little pad, it's the same basic idea, just scaled up to letter or, you know, you know, newspaper size. Yeah. Before that, people had to write it, right? Mm-hmm. Just write copy and copies of it. And so I think when I was a kid, I had to do like a little mini paper, probably with a fake bibliography um, about the Gutenberg, you know, printing press. And I think when I was a kid, it didn't, I didn't really understand. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, this was a great, great invention, whatever. But it wasn't until I was an adult, I was like, oh, changed everything. Automate, we can print high volume of stuff. This is how people learned about things, how people were entertained. Uh, is reading. And so here I have some phrases that derive from the tradition of printing press. So we talked about the case, the storage box, it's huge. And the metal casted letters, like the stamps that live in this box, they're called sorts. So each letter is mm. a sort. 
So letter K is a sort, letter C is a sort. And so a collection of them would be sorts. Printers back then, depending on what they're trying to print, what they're trying to typeset for, maybe they lost a few letters. Maybe they don't have enough letters for what they're trying to print. And so they would be out of sorts. They'd I thought flat. that's where it was going to go, but that's crazy that that's where that came from. If you're feeling out of sorts and you're not 100% on top of it or right yeah. or you're flustered, that's because you're... Your page is missing <laughs> some letters. Yep, you're it out of sorts. Makes think of... Uh, hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have seen this too, like uh, like movie marquee or gas station lettering with the hand plastic. And, you know, oh, sometimes yeah, 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 they're yeah, yeah, out yeah. of an E and they just like, they'll, you know, they just turn the three <laughs> around or, you know, just yeah. liberal yeah, yeah, yeah. exchange of ones and lower case L's as needed yeah it's like ah this movie title has too many Z's nobody has this many Z's we'll just put the N sideways yeah it's like really wide so obviously setting type and letters in a plate is a very very tedious process so to make things more efficient with common sense people started to cast words like common words Mm. together so instead Mm -hmm. of you know let's say the word and instead of having the letter a and d they're like, hey, let's just move this, move this process <laughs> along. Let's just have a stamp for and. Mm. Um, and so mm. some of these common words from, to, really, really common like prepositions and conjunctions. And eventually evolved into like the name of the company because people are printing things and they have to put their mm. company name in them. And then people started to get a little bit fancy and artsy with them, maybe design them with some decoration, uh, more stylized uh, fonts. And these are called logo types, mm-hmm. which is where we, we yeah. get the word logo from. Like a mm. company's logo is from mm. their logo type because it's a repeated one piece of a stamp. Huh. Mm. People also did this to common phrases. So they would just have a whole block of phrases mm-hmm. that people use. They also did this with generic images like a tree or a snowflake. Um, mm-hmm. So these common templated things that were commonly used took on the French word for clicking because they're clicking the piece into place. Mm. Cliche. Ah. Ah. Describing things that are commonly or maybe like overly <laughs> used. Yeah. Other other terms probably a little bit more obvious. Hot off the press. Ah, the press. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Um also make an impression. So impression is what I think the British term for we say printing, but for them the proper term is mm. impressing. Because we're impressing an image or text onto a piece of paper. So when you make an impression, <laughs> that's what we're impressing that stamp onto a piece of paper. Yeah. So say you're working at a newspaper factory and you just put together, uh, you just did typesetting for a whole plate for the front page for the news tomorrow. Um, so we got to print a lot of copies and you have this one plate. So what are we going to do? We're not going to print all of it from this one plate because it's going to take a long time. Um, it's going to degrade the letters, the, the sorts in the plate. So what do we do? Um, we need to make a copy of this completed plate. Well, how do we do that? So printers developed a system where they would make from this mother plate molds. The, the common thing is they would imprint this using paper mache. Okay. And they would wait for the paper mache to kind of set and dry. Huh. Then they poured metal on it. Um, so now we have the complete mm. front page in one big uh, metal press. Hmm. Mm -hmm. This system was called stereotyping. Ah. In 1946, uh, this is for the New York Times. So that one plate, that mother plate, Uh they would cast as many as 6,000 uh, copies of plates so that they can like keep up the demands. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I have for the printing press movable type period. And in between then and and now, which is we're desktop publishing, there is a period in the middle where it was phototyping. Yeah. And essentially it is giant Xerox. Instead of using stamps of letters and words, they're cutting it out of paper. Mm. It's pre-printed text that it uh. looks like a giant ransom note. You know, so <laughs> yeah. so if you're making a newspaper then it was just a giant ransom note. Okay, I'm gonna cut out a picture and then cut out words and this is where copy and paste comes yep. from. Yep. This is where clip art came from. Exactly. There used to be a book of just generic art that you literally clip out using scissors 
to put it on your page <laughs> so it can be photocopied. When I was first starting to learn desktop publishing, some of like my mentors and people that I worked with, older coworkers, they came up in this environment. They say they could like smell the glue that you would use to like, you know, do the paste ups and That's like, wild. I just, it seemed like learning from somebody from another era, just the, the yeah. pre, the pre digital yeah. era. Yeah. That's, that's all the news fit to print. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I was thinking about books. Um, Cause that is the topic of this <laughs> episode and was trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I landed on, this is what I wanted to talk about, but um, I'll say this. I, I went as preparation for this. I went to the, to the good job brain fans and lobe trotters uh, Facebook group that we have um, where thousands of good job brain fans gather to discuss things. And um, I posted mm -hmm. a, a poll, I posted a poll and I simply gave them the prompt. Uh, so do you smell books? <laughs> and I and I gave four potential answers that I was was hoping everybody would fall into. We got 220 votes uh, so far. I'm looking wow. at the, uh, the results right now. Yeah, a lot of people wanted to vote. That was just from yesterday. That was just from yesterday. Yeah, and so um, the the most popular uh, answer um, of the four options that I gave people was I enjoy the sense of books, but I don't go out of my way to sniff them. No, <laughs> with with 47 votes, the second most popular answer was absolutely. I jam my nose into the gutter and inhale deeply every book every time. 13 votes. No not my thing no real interest in the scent of books and then two votes for i only just now found out this was a thing and i'm super <laughs> weirded out <laughs> i uh i i was very curious actually who would fall into what buckets here i did this because i am absolutely an unrepentant uh book book sniffer really book sn oh yeah yeah I mean, I, I just for the, you know, for the same reason that I might, when I get my glass of wine, I may swirl it to release some of the aromas and stick my nose in it. A, it is a very pleasant feeling to inhale um, a, a pleasant aroma. And I absolutely find the aroma of books. Um, some books don't smell great, but when a book smells really good, it smells really good. And mm -hmm. so I was just like, okay, Karen's smelling a book now. They're, they smell it's great. It's your book. I'm smelling your book. Karen is now smelling, I think, every book every on her book shelf. Every book on her to... shelf, yeah. I assume the smell mm -hmm. of books is like fresh kind of ink, clean chemical yep, scent yep, with yep. a little bit of like paper nuttiness. Mm -hmm. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Um, in, a, in an actual scientific study, not a Facebook poll, a real scientific study, that was conducted in 2017, researchers presented people with the scents uh, that came off of historic books, uh -huh. um, old books. Um, and they, they collected the scents and then kind of disassociated them from the books. They didn't give people a book to smell. They said, smell this sort of isolated scent huh. um, and try to describe what it is you're smelling. Like, what okay. do you smell? What's, the, what's the, the scent there? Number one, with a bullet, uh, scent that people uh, said that they got off of the scent of old books was chocolate. Huh. What? Yeah, was the scent of chocolate followed very closely by coffee. Huh. Um, you saw lots of people saying, I smell, you know, burning or wood or yeah, ash, yeah, yeah. things like that. But chocolate was the number one answer. Researchers posit that, you know, this is because um, books and chocolate and coffee share uh, many what are known as volatile organic compounds or sure. VOCs. VOCs and those those are the things that give everything their smell VOCs are the things that the the the, the compounds that give off parts of themselves the, those parts go up into our nose and we smell them and in fact uh, books and and chocolate both contain uh, lignin and cellulose, uh, some of the main okay, substances sure. that are in wood. Uh, lignin itself is actually very close in terms Ooh. of its makeup to vanillin, Ooh. which is which is the scent of vanilla. And so lignin is even used uh, in some cases to make artificial vanilla flavoring. Really? So, um, yeah. So a lot of times when you're smelling, and we're talking about old books that are starting to break down and okay. release, you know, more of those compounds. Definitely a difference between new book smell and old book smell. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they're, yeah. Made, they're made with, uh, I would say, it seems like a little bit more organic uh, materials back then. Yeah, for sure. In fact, um, uh, there's, there's, there's one compound called furfural. 
fur fur al for for all mm-hmm. um that they actually use that uh to determine the age of some books because more of it ended oh. up in the compounds of older paper that oh. like paper that used more like linen and cotton you know versus like yeah. kind of wood pulp um it smells like almonds and again they, they can use it to date books huh. uh how much fur for all is is coming off of it when lignin breaks down that's what kind of causes books to start turning yellow as well um yeah. when the lignin starts leaving when you eat a chocolate bar often there's vanilla flavoring in the chocolate bar right so i mean there is like this that combination of chocolate with vanilla notes um that can come off of old book now old books that are in good preserved condition and weren't exposed to a lot of moisture because if you're smelling old books and they smell like mold or you know the mustard <laughs> like mold. Smell like, <laughs> yeah that's, 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 just, that's just mold that yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, in newer books, which can also smell fantastic, what you are smelling is not the paper breaking down. You're smelling whatever the inks are used on the paper. Uh, also, there's, I mean, they, they can use other compounds on the paper as well to treat the paper and make it more durable. Oh, yeah. So you're smelling mm-hmm. those. And then also adhesives, like you're sniffing glue when you're smelling a new book. <laughs> and then, of course, books for most people, I would hope, remind us of happy times spent with a book. And of course, we know that smell is very close to the memory center of the brain. And Mm -hmm. so that's why a smell can be so powerful and and bring back a certain time or place. Um, You know, if you enjoyed your time reading books, like that smell is sort of transporting you back to that as well. And so that's kind of the idea of like, why do people really enjoy the smell of books? Uh, Not only is it a a pleasant sort of reminder, but it's also, it just smells like chocolate sometimes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's scented candles that smell like everything. Uh, but yes, there are scented candles that smell like old books that you can <laughs> order. Um, I have perfumes that are are formulated to capture that smell as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. Actually, somebody mentioned in the um, in the in the Good Job Brain uh, a fan group post that there's a company, specific company called Demeter Fragrance Demeter. Library. Yep. Yes, which sells things in. Uh, turns out all kinds of weird scents. So there's paperback. But also uh, kitten fur, uh, grass, g- really grass. grass. Yep, yeah. gin and tonic, uh, junior mints. You want to smell exactly <laughs> like a junior mint and crayon. Um, if you want to smell like crayons, I do. I... You just want little kids to bite you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> The, the last sort of corollary to this is if you smell a book and it does smell bad and you don't want it to smell bad anymore, I actually go through this a lot with video games because often I will buy a video game on eBay and it will come in and the person did not disclose that they are a chain smoker and they've had this uh, thing for 30 attic. years and it mm. smells... All, well, yeah, I mean, the, the the attic smell, the basement smell, but also the smoking smell. Um, what I will generally... You can, you, you can put it into an airtight container with um, odor-absorbing material. So... You can put a book, you shouldn't put this, you shouldn't put a book directly into kitty litter, but it's like if you put a book into a loose container and then put that into a container full of kitty litter, so the book's not Whoa. touching it, but it's all in the same atmosphere, then then airtight, then seal it up. The kitty litter will absorb the bad smell off the book and leave it in there for a long time. You know what I mean? Like leave it in there for like a week or whatever. Um, I actually use uh, dryer sheets, unscented uh, fabric that. softener sheets. I've heard the dryer yep. sheets. Yeah. Put those in between pages or, you know, wrap it around the video game as the case may be put it in a ziploc wait for a while if it's like a mild smoke smell it should be gone within a day if it's really strong might <laughs> you, that, you, you might know? you might have to throw it in the trash i mean yeah but uh <laughs> but but uh there are absolutely common household solutions that you might have lying around right now that you can use to uh get rid of get rid of bad smell okay. all right well everybody let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more books This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. 
Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm at a grade school in Chicago. We're going to find out if these teachers listen to Good Job Brain. Emperor Qin Shi Huang ruled China until his death in 210 B.C. How did he die? Oh, it's definitely C. He was crushed. Mercury poisoning, D. Ding, 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 ding. No way. Way. Awesome. Betty White or penicillin? <laughs> Which came first? <laughs> no, penicillin. That's crazy. So you would learn all of these things if you listen to Good Job Brain. I, I should. I will. And we're back. Colin, what do you have for us? Okay, Karen. Well, I, I took this a little more broadly, uh, but I think we, we are absolutely certainly safely within the realm of books here. But let's talk about writing. If you have been on the internet, used Facebook, worked in an office, or even touched a personal computer at any time in the last 25 years, I am 99% certain that you are familiar with the topic of this segment. This is something that is reviled by many it is earnestly, perhaps ironically, loved by many as well. And there is honestly not a whole lot of uh, ground in between those positions. Mm-hmm. I am talking about the typeface known <gasps> as Comic Sans. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed my opinions on it. Oh, yeah. yeah you know what, Karen? I, I've gone back and forth and back and forth. I really, I have to say, I uh, like a lot of people, you know, maybe in the design or type and font world, it's, it's, it's easy to sort of get caught up one way or the other, either defending it or hating on it. I'll give you a description here. If, if just the words Comic Sans are not sparking any recognition for you here, uh, I'm going to quote from a very wonderful book called Just My Type by Simon Garfield. Uh, it's a very Colin book. Good, yeah, good name. It's, it's, it's a great book. Yep. So here I'm quoting here. He says, even if you didn't know what it was called, you will be familiar with Comic Sans. It looks as if it was written neatly by an 11 year old, smooth and rounded letters, nothing unexpected, the sort of shape that could appear in alphabet soup or as magnets on fridges or in Adrian Mole's diary. If you see a word somewhere with each letter in a different color, that word is usually in Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you know, Comic Sans is a type that has gone wrong. Uh, and I think that is in some ways true, but I, I, it has a very redeeming, to me, very interesting story here. And it, just as an aside, I may use font and typeface interchangeably. Uh, please just accept that and uh, go on. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then it doesn't matter. Just be cool. <laughs> please leave me alone. Please, please. I just, I know, I know, but it's please. Uh, um, okay, so Comic Sans was created by a man named Vincent Canore. Vincent Canore in the early to mid '90s was a typographic engineer for a little company called the Microsoft Corporation. (laughs) At work one day, Vincent was reviewing a pre-release copy of uh, of a program called Microsoft Bob. Now I think I oh, think yeah. we've talked about Microsoft what is it? Bob on the show before. Uh, you know, again, it, it may be lost to the mists of Good Job Brain time. If you don't remember, uh, and if you were not perhaps alive in 1995, uh, Microsoft Bob was uh, a, a a program or an interface, a product that was created to serve as a super super user friendly interface for. Uh, sort of that era of Windows operating systems. Okay, Windows 3, um, uh, Windows 95, even NT a little bit. And, you know, Microsoft, like a lot of companies, felt like maybe this need uh, to really hold your hand and teach you how to use the computer. um, Oh, I see. Okay. It came with a lot of common programs at the time. There was a word processor. uh, It had a calendar, a planner. It had a a basic kind of home finance app in it. It was stuff that you might need if you were just sort of the average, you know, American personal computer Windows buying family. It used a metaphor that was actually pretty common in some stuff at the time. It had the house metaphor, okay? So it was very visual, had a picture of the Mm. inside of a house. And, you know, you go from room to room, depending on what you wanted to do. And everything was was really heavily visually (laughs) metaphor-based. So when you wanted to open your calendar planner, you'd click on the, you know, the clock. And if you wanted to write a letter, open up the word processor, you would click on the pen and paper on the desk. You know, it had a lot of assistance in it, of cartoony assistants that would give you advice oh. and tips. And uh, there was a cartoon dog 
named Rover who was, you know, pop up and, hey, do you need help doing this? And would guide you with little, you know, little speech <laughs> bubbles on screens. And yeah, came out in March of 1995. It was discontinued in early 1996. Um, <laughs> yep. yeah. Yeah. It was never a hit. It never took off. It was just really widely criticized by, by most of the professional reviewers. Like they just, oh no. I mean, the, the critiques of it ranged from just being too dumbed down, the cartoon characters too cute, too over the top. So anyway, for, for whatever reason, uh, or I should say for, for all of those reasons and more, uh, yeah, they, they took Bob off very, very quickly. Uh, but yeah, you know, it did kind of spiritually live on into a lot of the later Microsoft Office assistants, which in their own turn uh, were uh, widely <laughs> criticized, but that's yeah, how yeah. it goes. So our friend... Vincent Canori was reviewing, uh, uh, you know, a pre-release, unreleased copy of Microsoft Bob. He saw something he didn't like. And specifically, what he didn't like was the typeface they were using. They were using, um, in, in the release that he was looking at, uh, Times New Roman for all of the text, oh, all of the labels okay. everywhere. And again, you know, Times New Roman, if you don't know the name, it's just a very, very, very traditional is serif font, boring, newspaper. you might say, newspaper, right, yeah. exactly. Vincent felt that Times New Roman really felt out of place with kind of the tone and the vibe they're going for. That they're like sense, yeah. cartoon characters. This is soft and fuzzy yeah. and rounded. There's dogs, you know, I mean, this is not, this just didn't feel right. Yeah. And so, you know, so he said to, to, to the Microsoft Bob team, he said, hey, you know, have you guys like, have you worked with the, uh, you know, the kids software team? Yeah. You know, maybe they have some, some ideas here, maybe type wise that you can kind of tie it in a little bit more. Sounded like maybe that didn't really go anywhere. Ultimately, you can see where I'm going. Um, Vincent Canari decided, you know what, I'm going to create a font here for them. Mm -hmm. And he designed Comic Sans. The word comic is right in the name. It is, in fact, uh, <laughs> inspired true. inspired by uh, comics and comic books. And in yeah, fact, yeah. one of the books that uh, Vincent had in his little workspace there by his desk was Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. The the Whoa! very very well known by Frank Miller, Klaus, yep. Jan Klaus Jansen, Lynn Barley. Wow! You know he also had uh, taken some inspiration from Watchmen, another great, well known, uh, gritty of comic and now trade paperback from that era. Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, of course, and he really took a lot of inspiration from the hand lettered, organic yeah. feel of those comics. And so he drew the letters by hand. He drew the entire alphabet that he, you know, felt that the program needed, got it pixelized just the way he wanted it. He sent the files uh, to the Microsoft Bob team. He's like, guys, people, <laughs> this is great. We don't need to use Times New Roman. We can ship this thing with this awesome font that I've created for you. And they said, wow, we cannot use this. <laughs> um, Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> One, um, part... <laughs> Partly because, partly because they had designed all of the screens, all of the interface around oh. the sizing expectations for Times New Roman already. Right. Yeah. So just yeah, just yeah, yeah. from just from an aesthetic layout perspective, having to move margins or change things around, it was a problem. It just didn't fit. Frankly, it just it really it wasn't that they didn't like it, you know, necessarily. So Microsoft Bob was in fact released with Times New Roman as, oh. as he saw, uh, who can say to what extent the, the font type choice was part of its downfall. Um, was he working at Microsoft at the time? Yes. Yes. Like, this was all, no, he okay. was, this was, yeah, that's right. He, was he wasn't on the Bob team. He waited till they had a release candidate. And then he's like, <laughs> you know what? You should change all of your font to this thing I made for you. I'm not on your team. Yeah. I don't care about the people who had a bunch of meetings and talked about this and figured it out. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. Dana, it sounds uh, like you're familiar with software development. Oh, yeah, maybe yeah. I've done some software development before. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so annoying. Like, wow. That's true. This yep. whole time, yep. Colin, yep. your tone is like, this dude is kind of like a hero. And, and Dana's like, no, he's that guy. He's that making me busy. This thought of somebody like, I already designed your whole thing. <laughs> so Bob came, it went, he wasn't part of that, but he had created this font system and it did in fact become adopted for Microsoft Movie Maker, uh, which was okay. a very successful piece of software oh. for them. And, you know, thinking back now, you know, when I read this, I was like, yeah, you know what? I do kind of remember in the 90s seeing Comic Sans on a lot of sort of home oh. video slideshows and 
It was a hit. Great. Of course, as I mentioned, this was 94, 95. It was bundled as a typeface in Windows 95, which is how it's mm. sort of, you know, if we were tracing a- Start uh, me up. Yeah. If we were tracing a uh, a virus here, uh, this, yeah, Windows 95 was a yeah, patient zero, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> and again, as uh, Simon Garfield notes here in this wonderful book, like if you are the average kind of home user of Windows in the 90s and you're making something, at, you know, a, a book report or something yeah. fun. Yeah. What are you going to use? You're going through that little list of fonts. You might very well- decide I don't want to use Times New Roman, I'd rather use Comic Sans. It exploded. I mean, it really maybe leapt sort of uh, the bounds of uh, proper use by uh, <laughs> by whatever your definition. Uh, you'd see it on ambulances. The, uh, the, the, the Portuguese <laughs> national basketball team used it for the, the names of the players no. in the back of the jersey. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I read uh, it would be used in some uh, online adult sites would use it for their, you know, font branding, just really places that did not seem uh, appropriate in into the into the late 90s. There definitely started the 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 backlash of the anti comic sans movement. <laughs> there was a, a husband and wife named Holly and David Combs who started selling banned Comic Sans merchandise. And they would catalog some just crazy places that it was used as well. Like they've documented it being used on uh, tombstones. Someone from uh, South Africa, I guess, contacted them, let them know that they uh, they had a, a textbook, their Afrikaans textbook. The entire textbook was printed in Comic Sans. <laughs> oh my God. I would go nuts after just a couple pages. Yeah. Aww. They found a use of a uh, you know a pamphlet handed out to patients uh, about irritable bowel syndrome. Again, printed <laughs> oh, all in yeah. Comic Sans. Yeah, Vincent Canore he really took this all in stride because again he is a professional and he understands <laughs> the nuances of fonts and type and how it's used. And that not not everybody is going to use it with the same mm-hmm. mindset as a professional. He's gotten a letter from Disney thanking them for his contribution. Disney has made a great use of Comic Sans. Uh, The letter uh, was in Comic Sans, signed by Mickey Mouse. Um, I'll close here with a joke again, cribbing from this wonderful book. Comic Sans walks into a bar and the bartender says, we don't serve your type. Uh, (laughs) You should sue them. Yeah, that's discrimination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's worse? That or the the brushstroke font, Ooh. mommy needs wine font. Oh, Karen, <laughs> that one, the live, laugh, love font. I liked that before. Karen, I have the results here of a 2007 survey published in the Typographic Papers series. Uh, this was a, a questionnaire sent to more than a hundred designers. Uh, asked them to list the ones they liked the least. Coming in at number five was brush script. Coming in number four. Papyrus, of course, another yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah the Avatar <laughs> font. Uh, at number three, uh, Newland inline or Neuland, perhaps uh, inline. Yeah. Uh, the Jurassic Park font, you know, yeah, uh, the okay, American yeah. Spirit cigarettes font. Right, right. N- number two, uh, <laughs> number two, Ransom Note. Yeah, like this one okay. is just. <laughs> It's communicating. The, the legitimate Subversive use cases zine. for ransom note. Yeah, right. Subversive zine. Right, right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah. ransom note. Yeah, yeah, right. And an actual ransom Imagine note. Imagine a textbook all ransom note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Shakespeare play in ransom oh note. <laughs> I was in a, a story meeting when I was at Wired um, it, one day and somebody was like, oh yeah, and we'll take um, the uh, the letters and kind of you know cut them out in the presentation. It'll look like, like a murder letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, room is like, Wait, what? <laughs> Ransom note? Like, oh yeah, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> the murderer letter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why what do you call it when you make one, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, it's presupposing that there'll be a murder, you know? Like it's not yeah. just a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. That's really yeah, you're assuming your ransom letter is not gonna be successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, and just to not to leave you guys hanging, um, this might be maybe a sign of when this survey was taken. Uh, the the 2012 Olympic font London was ranked as the number one most hated font among the designers oh. in the survey. Uh, I actually had to look what it up. Is that? Yeah. yeah, it was a really kind of angular. One writer observed it looked like the equivalent of dad dancing. Just you know, something just trying so hard to be cool that it it it, it fails. I yeah. see a little bit of Greek glyph and 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 kind of yeah. You're right. You're right. It. it does. You're right. It. But surprisingly, Comic Sans did not make the designer's own list of most hated fonts. So maybe that speaks well of it. Because it's really like saying you hate your grandma if you hate it. You know, it's just like when she sends me these emails and comic, comic fans. Like, <laughs> my dad emails powerpoints like of memes. Like you know, we we send each other memes and stuff, but like all of their memes are in a PowerPoint file with music that you have to download, and it's slideshow of like not even memes, like funny web comics or whatever. Oh my god, it's like so not efficient. Your your memes per second. Yeah, it's like forward, 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 yeah, yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's a chain yeah, mail. Yeah, yeah. It's a chain PowerPoint. That's I never opened because I was. You should like, I don't never know open it. That's viruses. I know. I know. <laughs> That's what's downloading and taking so long. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Colin. I got our last segment and I didn't know you were going to talk about Comic Sans. And I am actually I have a quiz here that is uh, in the same vein as what you talked about. All right. My segment here is called From Panels to Frames. It is a quiz about movies, films that came from or adapted from graphic novels Mm. or comics. Mm. So here I have a bunch of questions. Get out your barnyard buzzers. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Number one. Nobody could stop Cameron Diaz's star trajectory after her first film acting gig in this smoking movie. <laughs> Ooh, cow. Dana. The Mask. Correct. The Mask. Yeah. Didn't know until today that uh, The Mask was based on uh, a comic um, by Mm. Doug Mankey and John Arcudi. The comic is super dark and not like the movie at all. (laughs) Uh, Next question. This gritty Chicago mob drama was the last movie appearance of Paul Newman and features an all-star cast including Stanley Tucci, Daniel Craig, Jude Law, with Tom Hanks as the lead. Oh, it's really what, good. The film is very good. That one, wow, based on graphic novel. Huh. <sighs> wow. It, it's one of the few roles where Tom Hanks plays a. Not that he's a villain, like he's plays like a mob, like a gangster dude who kills people, which is a very un-Tom Hanks yeah. thing to do. But that he's still the very, hero of the film. Yeah. Oh man, this is <sighs> ah. This piece of work is called Road to Perdition. Yes. Yes. Road to Perdition, based on a graphic novel written by Max Allen Collins and art by Richard Pierce Rayner. Fantastic movie. Last movie appearance of Paul Newman uh, before he retired, I think, in 2007. Salad dressing king himself, Paul Newman. (laughs) Okay. Before she got us to love-hate her in Game of Thrones as Cersei Lannister, Lena Headey played Queen Grogo in this battle epic. Battle epic. This battle epic. Battle epic. Battle epic. Battle epic. Queen Gorgo. Oh, Gorgo. Gorgo or Grogo? Gorgo. Grogu? Like Gorgon with no Grogu. Queen Grogu. Colin. This is a guess. Was it 300? Correct. It is three hundred. Oh yeah. Okay. This is Sparta. Circe. Uh, no, ah. no, sorry. Her name's not Circe. Uh, Lena Headey. She was the queen, <laughs> like the the Spartan queen. This is uh three hundred. Ah. The graphic novel written illustrated by Frank Miller. We just talked about. Next question. This film and comic takes place in a post-apocalyptic Australian outback. The comic was created by artist Jamie Hewlett, who then afterwards went on to create the band The Gorillas. This film stars Lori Petty, Naomi Watts. Here we go. 
Ice T, Malcolm McDowell, and Iggy Pop. Chris, you buzz in first. <laughs> he Tank buzzed girl. Asking. Tank girl. <laughs> you are correct. It is Tank Girl. Commercial flop, but beloved cult film. Boy, they wanted that one to be such a hit. I remember mm. the, the you know what? Yeah. It was pretty yeah. quirky and pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, so the the actual the comic book was made by Jamie Hewlett. And I did if you not look at it. It looks that. a lot like gorillas. Yeah, it looks like totally, the gorillas. Totally stuff. does. Oh, that's a it's good one. his style. Uh, we have two last questions, and I want you guys to work together on it. We of course associate Chris Evans now with playing uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America. But did you know, in addition to the Marvel movies, he starred in four other films based on comics or graphic novels. Oh, can you name the four other films? <laughs> I can name one. Well, okay. He was oh. in Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, yep, by Jack Kirby and Jeez. Stan Lee. He was the human Let's torch. See. Yeah. There's three more. I could give you guys clues. Three one, more. Goodness. Okay. He played an ex-boyfriend. Oh, he was in um, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, Correct. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Pilgrim versus the World yep. by Brian Lee O'Malley. He was yep. one of the ex-boyfriends. Yep, yep. And two more. Uh, he starred, he was kind of like an anti-hero in this Korean movie about a train. Oh, oh he was in Snowpiercer. Uh, Snowpiercer. That's right. That's right. I forgot that was an adaptation. Right. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. Snowpiercer, uh, a Korean movie, but it was actually, uh, the, the comic was French. Jacques Lobb and mm. Jean-Marc Rochette. Yeah. And the last movie you might not know, it's called The Losers. He played, it was <sighs> kind of like a, you know, like special elite team doing like a heist. Uh, also has Zoe Saldana, who played Gamora, mm. Idris Elba, who mm. was also uh, in Thor, um, <laughs> Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who became the comedian, the Watchmen. Mm. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, All-star all lo- comic-based cast. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Dean Morgan also in Walking Dead and Idris yep. Elba also in the new uh, Suicide Squad, right? Or am yes. I? Yeah. 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 Well, so here we are. Last question. Not to be outdone. Josh Brolin has played a character in six movies <laughs> based on comics. Can you name all six? He currently has probably, I think, the record. I mean, I think we can all name at least one, right? He's, he did Thanos in, in he the He is Thanos the from Avengers. Wow. Seven, five more. Okay. Um, was he uh, uh, the Sin City adaptation? Was he in that Yes, one? he was in Sin City 2. Okay. He replaced Clive Owen. Okay. Uh, I'll give oh. you some hints. I'll give you some okay. hints. He played a young version of Tommy Lee Jones in a movie. Men in Black? Yep. He's in uh. Men in Black 3, also based on a ah. comic. Okay. Uh, one, he played a Western bounty hunter with Megan Fox. Oh, do we remember that movie? Megan Fox. It's a DC we character. Do not? It's a Jonah Hex. Oh, <laughs> no. Jonah no. Hex. No, I don't remember that. No. He was also Cable in Deadpool 2. Oh, right, so, right, right, right. Yeah. Yep. And then the last one, this is probably the only manga Japanese comic uh, in this quiz. Uh, there was a Manga called Old Boy that got turned into a Korean movie, award-winning Korean movie. Mm -hmm. And then that was adapted to the Western audience, uh, Old Boy starring Josh Berlin and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Wanda. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Okay. Just to recap, here we go. Josh Berlin's big six. He was Thanos in Avengers, Cable from Deadpool 2, Old Boy from the manga Old Boy, Men in Black 3, Sin City 2, and Jonah Hex. Good wow. job, Josh. Yeah. From from, yeah. from the Goonies now to, to the top. <laughs> Good job, Josh's agent. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
So, if you guys recall, uh, we have been floating in outer space this entire time, because <laughs> a few episodes ago, we received a challenge from our old nemesis, Carmen San Mateo, uh, who stole a trivia prize from us and escaped into orbit somewhere. So we're playing Where the Heck in Space is Carmen San Mateo right now, and we were voyaging in our fartis when we picked up a <laughs> mysterious signal over the space radio or whatever, and this signal was an endless loop of a series of numbers. Now, we could not solve this, so we turned to you folks out there in podcast land, the listeners who correctly sur surmised uh, that the numbers should be transposed into letters. One is A, two is B, mm. and so on and so forth. Um, and this gives you uh, K-L-E-O-R-I-O-N-S-B-U-C. Now, unfortunately, that means basically nothing, but it was a loop and we didn't know where the loop began and ended. Mm. So as it turns out, the way to actually spell something uh, with, uh, with that would be to start with the first O, and you get Orion's Buckle. <laughs> so then, of course, you realize that the, the star formation in the night sky that we know as Orion's Belt has three stars in it, and, and thus came to the conclusion that Orion's Belt Buckle would probably be the star in the middle. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you yep. Googled it, and then you found out that that star is named Alnilam, and that was the answer, Al. N-I-L-A-M, Alnilam, was the name of the star that serves as Orion's belt buckle. Then you went to goodjobbrain.com and you typed that in to learn that that was the correct answer. So off we are traveling, everybody, to Alnilam, a brief 2,000 light years away from our uh, from Earth. Um, <laughs> or actually, I mean, it turns out that Alnilam is about 40 times the size of our sun. Uh, and is estimated to be about 500,000 <laughs> times brighter. So let's just get within spitting boy. distance of Al-Nalam. Okay. Um, okay. So now that we've arrived in the general vicinity, uh, whose name, by the way, just, uh, derived uh, from the Arabic phrase uh, for a string of pearls, Orion's Belt Whoa. being a fairly recognizable sort of mm. concatenation of stars mm. in the night skies, recognized by different cultures, even if they don't know about, you know, Orion the Hunter. Um, mm -hmm. in, in Arabic languages, it's often known as the belt or the line. And in some places, including Chinese mythology, it's known as like the scale or or the weighing beam because mm. um, oh, okay. it's a balance. Like, it's a, like a straight a balance line beam. with three things, like a balancing scale type thing. Anyway, none of this is going to help us. Um, <laughs> but what is, is that once we arrive in the general area, we spy another vessel out of our viewing holes. <gasps> this, this is a spaceship that seems to be in the shape of a wireless handheld microphone. We begin to receive oh. a transmission... Hey, Gumshoes, it's us, Macapella, everybody's favorite non-instrumental, non-infringing parody musical group. A five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Carmen isn't here. She's somewhere in the Milky Way. Hiding on a moon named for a lady in a play. In other words... She has fled in other words. Use your head. Now, that little ditty's not going to give you the complete skinny on Dee Dee and Carmen's whereabouts, but we did hear Dee Dee tell Carmen this. Daughter of Hermione, mother of Lucky. Now, what that means, don't ask us. We're just a simple, legally distinct group of doo-wop singers on a voyage into space. And it's time to get going. To infinity, and then past that. <laughs> that was great. Okay. I finished it. I loved it. <laughs> Five stars. Oh, well, oh, thank you. I'll let, I'll let Macapella know that you said yeah. so. Macapella, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Wow. They're keeping it legal. Um, Their production value really went up. <laughs> <laughs> when you have extra time to spend on it, you know, traveling to uh, people in outer space, you want to really double right. out on the production value. You, you, you have yeah. a lot of, you just have a lot of time to think and yeah, really get those harmonies tight. Um, so um, okay, what are our clues? we had Let's some see. clues. So in the song yeah, itself, yeah. I believe, uh, well, what did they say? I think they said that um, Carmen was uh, hiding on a moon or somewhere, somewhere in the Milky Way. Hiding on a moon, named for a lady named in after. a play. Yeah, named after mm -hmm. a lady in a play. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And then we daughter. got another little hint at the end after that. Daughter, yeah, daughter of yeah. Hermione. Yeah, mother yeah. of Lucky. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't even begin to speculate or even provide any hints oh. here. Um, 
to the to the people listeners listeners we need you again on this one you're gonna have to figure out uh where carmen and uh dd convict have uh have have blasted off to help us get to the next place mm-hmm. everybody we gotta catch carmen san mateo please visit goodjobray.com our website and uh, you'll see a, a little fartist and we're gonna punch in the code and that's our show thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys uh listeners for listening in hope you learned a lot of stuff about smell of books librarians uh graphic novel and comic sans you can find us on apple podcast Google Podcast, Spotify, and on all podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like Clever, Movie Therapy, and Ben Franklin's World. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.